A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. I was never able to, or I I never was fortunate enough to meet Andy, um, but I've been very grateful to be able to meet his family since then and get to know uh, a little bit about him. One of the things uh, that was said pretty early uh, when we met the first time was that he he liked C.S. Lewis, and I really like C.S. Lewis too. So I kind of really appreciated that. I wasn't as much into English and literature and those other things. I probably wouldn't have appreciated his class, but uh, later on, I've grown to appreciate literature a lot more, and especially C.S. Lewis. And uh, one of the things that I love about C.S. Lewis is that he, he makes you work for what he teaches, as well as uh, he offers something more than just a simplistic understanding of this life. Um, that's one of the things that actually attracted him to uh, Christianity as a whole, or back to Christianity, because he was raised Catholic or raised Christian, uh, fell away, became an atheist, and then was drawn back into Christianity, partly through J.R. Token and others. And one of the things that uh, helped him draw himself back in, as he talks about in his conversion story, was that uh, nothing else really spoke of truth in the way that Christian writers Christian writers spoke of truth in a way that atheistic writers, even though that he wanted to identify more with the atheistic writers, didn't work. And so he was constantly knew that the, the most attractive writers and people that he admired were Christians. Not the Christians around him, but the Christians of history and literature that came about. And, and so he offers kind of a more complex kind of approach to that. And One of my favorite writings by C.S. Lewis by far uh, that I've read probably a hundred times is one of his talks called The Weight of Glory. And I recommend it to anyone. It's a a shorter, it's a a talk. But he definitely, again, makes you work for what he's trying to get across. Uh, But I'd like to pull out a few points for us here today as we kind of think about um, Andy's life as well as why we're here. I think one of the things that we can sometimes be led into a simplistic Christianity of saying, well, we believe in the afterlife uh, because 
uh, we want it to be so, right? We want it to be so, and that's it. But as Christians, and C.S. Lewis certainly espoused this, as well as I'm sure Andy, through taking uh, a lot of his instruction through C.S. Lewis, also saw it, was that it's more than just a hope that we have in life after death. As Christians, there's actually something more there. C.S. Lewis, in uh, The Weight of Glory, um, says it this way. He says, We remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. But, there is, but is there any reason to suppose that reality offers any satisfaction to it? Nor does, the, nor does the being hungry prove that we have bread. But I think it may be urged that this misses the point. A man's physical hunger does not prove that a man will get any bread. He may die of starvation in the raft in the Atlantic. But surely a man's hunger does prove that he comes from a race which repairs its body by eating and inhabits a world where edible substances exist. In the same way, though I do not believe, I wish I did, that my desire for paradise proves that I shall enjoy it, I think it is a pretty good indication that such a thing exists and that some men will enjoy paradise. Now, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that, again, our desires are given to us is something actually from God. Our desires of something more, realizing that this world isn't enough, is a desire from God. And we have a founded hope on the afterlife, not on, again, hope, but also, or not on, again, just a wish or a dream, but also a person, Jesus Christ, who we heard about today, who we celebrate today, who we unite ourselves to today who Jesus Christ, who became one of us, who walked among us, who said lots of nice things, and as C.S. Lewis also points out, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And, and he, when he suffers and dies, could have went the way of all the other kind of messiahs of the day. But instead, something happened. Something happened after he died. Because... When he died, all his apostles and disciples ran away, and they were afraid and locked in a room. But something changed at a certain point. And we believe in the resurrection that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to point to us, again, of life after death. That there is something that, again, is something beyond this world. Now, for ourselves today, as we think about Andy, what is our way that we're connected to him? Well, certainly we're connected to him by our memories, right? Absolutely. Uh, we all hopefully have uh, memories of him, and those will stick with us always. The other way that we have a connection to him is also in this beautiful way of love, that just because his life, even though that just because he has died in this world does not mean that he is gone. His life has changed. It has changed. Something so that uh, so abrupt and so different for us that we can't even really comprehend it and understand it, and it brings us great grief because it will not be the same relationship that we've always had before. But it is not ended; it is changed. And so, one of the primary ways that uh, I would encourage all of you to continue to have that relationship with Andy, that that love and that care for him, is to pray for him. Uh, certainly one of the things that 
we hear today in Romans is that what will separate us from the love of Christ? And it goes about and it says nothing. Nothing, not even death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor future things, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature will separate us from the love of God. And that's true for Andy, and that's true for us as well. That we always have that choice to be connected with the love of Christ and to be connected with those that we love. Um, And that's one of the reasons why we come here and gather here specifically at the Mass as as for, for Catholics, the Mass is the source and summit of our faith. It's the source and summit of our faith because we believe that we are transported in time to unite ourselves to the love of God who suffers and dies on the cross here on this altar once again. Not again in the sense of once again, but that we are transported in time and that's represented to us once again. And so we are united to Jesus Christ and his love for us throughout the entire world. And we are united to Christ. And Andy, we pray in mercy and and in hope, is united to Christ as well. And so we're able to offer the perfect prayer because the perfect prayer is Jesus's love for us, right? We heard it in, uh, again, the letter to the Romans, right? That God did not spare his own son. That this is the, the deepest love that we have, which is part of the reason why Catholics have a crucifix. Because it's not to, again, um, it, to re-crucify Christ. It's to show, again, that's the depths of love that God has for us. Is that there is nothing that will separate us from his love. Um, nothing. That we always, Jesus is constantly seeking that reconciliation with us. And so as we come here to pray for Andy, we do it out of love, right? We do it out of love and unite ourselves to Christ's love. And that unites us to Andy as well. And it should give us hope. Hope again, which springs eternal, which is not rooted in our hope of just something of a dream, but as a hope that's founded in reality because after Jesus rose from the dead, his apostles, which were afraid and locked in their room, went out and evangelized the whole world. And all but one uh, died a, a bloody death that initially they were afraid of. And what, well, the only thing that, I can exp- that we can explain that, that the first 300 years of Christianity was, cru- was mar- you know, persecuted and yet grew, was that something more happened than just Jesus dying, but that Jesus rose from the dead and that we ourselves, united to him, also seek that as well. I'd like to read uh, the end of um, The Weight of Glory. Uh, He talks, again, a lot about uh, kind of the glory that we're called to and in heaven. So again, I would highly recommend uh, anyone to read it. But it's in moments like these that we recognize how precious our moments are with everyone around us. And this is hopefully a time for us to recognize and be grateful for Andy and his family, uh, but also that we might always uh, be grateful for the time that we have and recognize the great weight and also the great glory of those all that we come into contact with. He says...
It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. He's talking about just kind of the glory that uh, will come uh, to us in heaven. He says, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you may talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else in horror and corruption, such as you now meet. It is only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumcension proper to them that we should conduct our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There is no ordinary people. We have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be that of the kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption, and our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love is flippancy, parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. And if he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way. For in him also is Christ. Death is always something which unsettles us because it's not meant to be so. It's not meant to be so. And so we experience this great change and difficulty and struggle because it's not meant to be so. And from the beginning, it was not so. But Jesus Christ has come to give us life uh, and that we are made as immortal. Um, And so we pray and unite ourselves uh, to God and to one another and to Andy as well this day, continue to pray for him being grateful for the time that we've had and and pray that uh, we might continue to grieve well, knowing that, again, this is not the way it's supposed to be, but yet knowing that there is a future. There is a change of relationship and that um, it will still continue to persist because of the great love that God has for each one of us.